I've heard rumors of a well that won't run dry. I've heard rumors of a love that never dies, is it true? I've heard rumors and whispers of an unrelenting grace. I've heard whispers of a God who knows my name, is it true? The evidence is everywhere. My confidence is growing. I'll testify, I will prophesy, I'll start rumors of my own. Every single year, the world celebrates the Easter holiday. For some, the focus is on family and food and hiding colored eggs that still somehow are delicious even when the green ink leaks through and makes it look spoiled since last Easter. (laughs) For some, it's the only time of year they dress up, the only time of year they step foot in a church, and for others, for many, for millions, It's about celebrating the linchpin event in all of history that eternity rests on, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A resurrection that destroyed the power of death and sin and darkness forever. A resurrection that atoned for the sin of every single human being that has, does, or will exist so that through Jesus Christ, nobody would have to taste true death ever. A resurrection that was predicted Because for thousands and thousands of years, before this moment, this linchpin moment, there were rumors. There were whispers and prophecies and bold proclamations that this was coming, that a savior, a redeemer, a messiah was coming to make all things right, to bring peace, to bring shalom, to make things the way that God intended them to be, or as Radiohead says, to put everything in his right place. And for the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about these rumors. As we lead up to our Easter celebration, we're gonna look at all the indications that God and Jesus himself gave as to what was coming and what these rumors, what these whispers can teach us about our daily lives today. But the funny thing about rumors in 2022 is that they really don't exist anymore. The reason being, we have the answer to everything literally at our fingertips. If somebody says something might be a rumor that, you know, that might or might not be true, that could start a rumor, all you have to do is click on Google to verify whether it's true or not, and the rumor is then eliminated, because you can then prove whether it's true or not. This is a fact that I hate when debating with my wife. She's so often right, and now she can prove it uh, whenever we're like debating. We want, you, uh, those of you who are married, um, you know how like, the biggest fights you ever have are not about important things. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like when it comes to like kids and future and finances, you might have a little thing here, but you work it out. The biggest fights Lindsay and I have ever had have been about milk. <laughs> yep, and one of the biggest fights we ever had was uh, we disagreed on, there was a, a song from the 90s uh, by Bush called Glycerin. You guys remember this song by Bush called Glycerin? I was so emphatic that it was entitled Glistening, not Glycerine. <laughs> 
that we had the, uh, just this knockdown blow up fight about who was right until one of we just smartly figure out, let's just Google it. And I'm sorry to say I was right, okay? So uh, don't go listen to it or look at the lyrics or anything. Uh, no, Lindsay was right about the song Glister. But when I was a kid, you know, those of you who were born in the 80s or, or 90s or before, when, we're, when you were kids and somebody said something that may or may not be true, you just had to be like, well, it's probably true. Just, there's no way to verify it. If somebody started a rumor, you were like, I'm just going to believe this for the next 30 years because that, I have to believe that. So my buddy was like, dude, you swallow gum, it stays in your stomach for seven years. And I'm like, okie doke, I'm just going to be terrified of swallowing gum for the rest of my life because there's no way to verify if that's true. I don't have a doctor next to me to go, excuse me, is this true or not? That was just a rumor that existed. And there were so many of these rumors growing up that I just believed because there was no way to verify them. One of the main ones, and this is so random, I've talked to so many people and they're like, yeah, I did that. Um, do you remember there was this rumor, uh, the rapper of a Tootsie Pop, you guys know where I'm going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The rapper of a Tootsie Pop, if you got the indigenous people shooting the star with the arrow, what did that mean? You got a free one. Did you ever try it? No, never tried it. Probably because nobody would honor it. There's no way I'm walking into 7-Eleven like, yo, I got the thing with the star. Guys, like, all right, I don't know, they're 99 cents, man. I don't know what you want, dude. That was the rumor, hey, if you got, so I remember, and so that picture was no kidding from two weeks ago. Like, I was writing this sermon, and I had had a Tootsie Pop, and I was like, oh my gosh, I get a free, no, I probably don't get a free one, but the kid in me. There were so many of these rumors. There was, of course, the rumor that parents loved back in the day that, what, if you sit too close to the TV, it'll ruin your eyes. In 2022, now we have VR that are right here. That, that kids are doing. So I'm pretty sure that wasn't true. It was a good try, mom and dad. Um, there was always rumors about the value of, ba- of sports cards. Remember when you were a kid that you'd, get, you'd just be like, my buddy would be like, dude, I, that, that card I got, Michael Jordan, it's worth $50. And you're like, okie doke, can't, I don't know. It might be, probably. You get the little Beckett book, but you never could find your right card. And so, yeah, that was always rumors. Um, how much people back in the day would sell like Beanie Babies for? That was always a thing. Like, if you got the bowl, it's worth $500. I'm like, okay, I, what, who? Here, here, take it. Give me the $500. I don't know how to sell this thing. Or Pogs. Remember Pogs? That was dumb. Gosh, those are so stupid. Um, there was the rumor going around as a, when I was a kid that if you swallowed a watermelon seed, it would grow a watermelon plant from your belly. Okie doke. <laughs> Just believed it. Sure. Hi, what do I, how am I going to prove you wrong? I don't know. That's probably true. Um, and there are a lot of these. Some of these I looked up just because they're ones I didn't hear of, but they were like super famous. Uh, there was a rumor uh, a long time ago that uh, Michael J. Fox, his middle name was Jello. <laughs> you ever heard that? It's not true. We've verified since then. Uh, there was the rumor that drinking too much Sunny D could turn you orange. That's what happened up here, I think. Um, there was, the, there was uh, the rumor, this is a weird one. There was a rumor that Ozzy Osbourne would start his concerts by like biting a bat. Right? And you're like, oh, what a weird dude. But I don't know if he did that. But as a kid, you're like, Ozzy Osbourne eats bats. That's creepy. I don't, you know, I don't know if he did that anyway. Uh, there's, of course, rumors that there's certain celebrities that never died. Uh, so apparently, Tupac is still alive. Elvis is still alive. Michael Jackson's still alive. I don't know what island they're living on, but they never died. They're still alive. Uh, maybe the biggest rumor of all time when I was growing up, uh, it was just three, three letters, Y2K. Uh, <laughs> Let's be real right now. Who of you stockpiled food and water thinking something was good? We'd like to make fun of you right now if that's cool. If you're in the room. No, 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 you're raising your hand. Those of you online, I saw you raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Good job. Thanks for being honest. 
But nowadays, rumors can't exist because we have too much useless knowledge at our fingertips that whenever something comes up that may or may not be true, we have the ability to prove whether it was true or not, except scientists. Scientists can just say whatever the heck they want, and nobody can like, refute them. They'll be like, there's 200 billion beetles on this one island in Hawaii. And we're like, okie doke, scientists. Well, just, I'm going to go count and prove you wrong. Can't do it. Scientists can make up whatever rumors they want. Now, the more important rumor that we're going to be talking about is not about Y2K or Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, it's about Jesus. And the entirety of Scripture is just littered with rumors. God was not trying to hide. He was not shy. He wasn't trying to be subtle about the coming of his son that would be the ultimate sacrifice for all of mankind. In fact, something we're going to look at today and what I want to explore and spend most of our time on is that from the moment there was any separation between God and his people, he began dropping rumors and hints and truths and prophecies over what was to come. Because the entirety of Scripture... If you wanted to sum it up, like holistically, 10,000 foot view, what's the Bible about? It is the account of God stopping at nothing to be with us. That's it. Yeah. It's not a list of rules, it's not judgment, it's not anger, it's like, if you, again, looking at it from a very high perspective, it is the story of a heavenly father who was so not okay being separated from his children, from his masterpiece creation, that he stopped at nothing to be with us. A few key threads, examples from throughout scripture. First, from creation itself, that he created everything he spoke into existence with his words except human beings which he crafted with his hands and breathed the breath of life. In the Garden of Eden it said he walked with Adam and Eve. He didn't like send you know, messengers of how to live and what to do. He walked with them. One of my favorite uh, uh, characters from scripture, his name is Enoch. He is one of only two people we know of to have not died because it said he walked with God for 300 years and then was not for God took him. He just did life with God so closely. Eventually the Lord's like, you're closer to here than there, so just come on up. You don't even have to die. <laughs> Um, Abraham, which we'll talk about in a minute, he spoke to Abraham, speaking blessing and promise, saying, I want to be your God and you to be my people. That God didn't show up demanding. He said, I want to be with you and through you, through your people, will come this coming Messiah. When his people wandered in the desert, God led them. Didn't just send them out. He led them with a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire. He instructed his people to build the tabernacle or the temp and eventually the temple, which was a meeting place for God's presence. He said, I need you to construct something that I can reside, that you can come be with me. Jesus, his name, he is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what it's all about, God with us. And then eternity, as we're told in John 17, 3, that eternal life is that we know God and Jesus whom he sent. So man, from beginning to end, the Lord is not okay with any kind of separation between us and him, and the same is true today, as we'll see. This passionate pursuit culminated, as I said, with God sending his only son, to atone for the sin of every single human being so that nothing, including sin, including disobeying a holy, perfect God, nothing could stand in the way between us and him ever again. And leading up to this, God spoke it again and again and again through prophets speaking directly this ultimate plan for redemption through this coming Messiah, through Jesus Christ. 
There are well over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament speaking about Jesus the Messiah. There's prophecies about his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and many, many more. And as I said, from the moment sin entered the picture, from the moment there was any kind of separation, God began speaking. God began prophesying of what was to come, telling us that this was not a last-minute ditch effort on God's part. It didn't just get to this place where he's like, all right, geez, I'll send my son. We'll figure something out. No, no, no. From the moment sin entered the picture, God knew what was coming. His ultimate plan for eternal redemption, not just moment to moment. God's like, I'm going to do it once and for all through my son, through his sacrifice, and that's coming. And throughout history, God dropped these unbelievably powerful breadcrumbs for people to see what was coming. The very first prophecy of the coming Messiah came, as I said, moments after the first act of disobedience to God. This is God in Genesis speaking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, uh, which tempted Eve. God says this to the serpent. It says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This prophecy saying the offspring of the woman, the offspring of human beings, will strike your head. That Jesus being born by Mary, fully God and fully human, will be the one to crush the head of Satan, of Lucifer, the enemy of God, to crush darkness and death and sin forever. Again, moments after sin entered the picture. The next prophecy comes just a few chapters later, also in Genesis, when God speaking to Abraham who at the time was called Abram, speaking to Abram, which we'll explore in just a few minutes later, he says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's us. That every single family that has, does, or will exist is blessed through Abram because God spoke to him and through Abram, through the people, people of Israel, came the Messiah, but not just for God's people, that Jesus came for all of the families of earth which we are included into. And then later, God speaking to Abraham in Genesis 17 makes it clear that through his family lineage, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, God would quote, Genesis 17, confirm my covenant with him and his descendants an everlasting covenant. That Jesus was the permanent solution. And these prophecies did not stop. God just kept them coming. Some of the prophecies were these beautiful, broad pictures about Jesus' universal lordship or his everlasting kingdom. Some of them were incredibly specific about Jesus' mother being a virgin, that he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, it specifies, that he'd be given vinegar to drink while on the cross. Now, some were prophecies that potentially could have been in his control to fulfill. Um, These include things like riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, But many others were completely out of his control. No way he could have controlled them, and yet he'd fulfilled them, such as he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be praised by children, or that soldiers would gamble for his clothes. And many, many, many others. As I said, well over 300, some believe up to 450 plus prophecies about Jesus. Most theologians agree that of all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, 324 of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, the probability of someone fulfilling 324 is mathematically impossible, unless it's true. 
Now, the chance of someone fulfilling simply 48, so we're, we're weaning it down from 300 to 48, the chance of somebody in history fulfilling just 48 of these prophecies is estimated to be one chance in 10 to the 157th power. If you're a visual person, I'm going to show you what that looks like. There's one chance in one followed by 157 zeros, which is this number. Oh, wait, wait, I'll count them. Go ahead. No, okay, we're not going to do that. One chance in 10 to the 157th power for somebody in history to fulfill simply 48 of the prophecies predicted about them. And Jesus, as I said, there's more than 324, but all theologians concur 324 were fulfilled by Jesus himself. A couple maybe within his uh, ability to control, many not at all. It is unbelievable, truly, how many things God spoke to his people about the coming Savior and then that Savior being Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies. From the moment we needed a savior throughout history, God did not keep quiet about what was coming, about what was, what was happening, because he was so not okay being away from us. He was so not okay being separated from us. And everything God speaks to his people in scripture, everything we read today for our own lives, for our own betterment, is a heavenly father telling his people how to live so they can be close to him. God didn't give his people instruction because he wanted to boss them around. Otherwise, he would have just made robots that did whatever he wanted to do. No, no, no. He gave them free will and then says, I'm going to teach you how to live the best life possible so that we can be in a relationship because I love you and I want you to love me and without free will, there's no love. So God crafted with his hands. He breathed the breath of life. He gave us free will and then said, your purpose is to do life with me and I'm so excited. I want nothing more than to do life with you. Sin entered, there was a separation and God instantly was like, nope, this is not okay because all I want is to be with you. In fact, I want to be with you so much, I'm gonna sacrifice my own pure, innocent, divine, holy son to become your sin so that you don't have to to be separated from me so that you don't have to. The moment of Jesus' death, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he became sin, something our holy, perfect God cannot be amongst. And so God had to separate from his own son who became my sin so that I wouldn't ever have to experience that. That is how not okay God is about not being with his people. And the thing, as I said, I want to focus on this morning is that it was the instant that separation happened, God started his pursuit. The minute sin entered the picture, it's not like God had to go off and kind of cool down. <laughs> Did I have to do that, you know, oftentimes? It's not like he had to take a break. It's not like he was like, I just need to get my anger out real quick. Can you just hang while I kind of, I'm a verbal processor. I just need to yell at you human beings for a bit and then I'll be okay. No, no, no. From the moment it happened, God spoke to the serpent what was to come. There's a point actually in Jesus' own ministry where he illustrates this passion and the immediacy of God pursuing his people through three parables he tells back to back to back. He tells a parable of a shepherd losing a sheep, a woman losing a coin, and a father losing a son. And in each of the parables, Jesus highlights how immediate and passionate the owner or the father or the shepherd was about getting back what was lost. So we've talked through these parables before. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but all I'm going to read from each one is the, the moment where it was like immediate and passionate that the owner started pursuing 
So in the parable of the lost sheep, it starts like this in Luke 15. Jesus says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that has lost until he finds it? Again, it wasn't like he counts his other ones and he sees if they're maybe okay without that one. Who was the one that Larry got lost? He's stupid, we'll let him go. No, no, he did, he did not do that. The shepherd immediately was like, I need to find the one that was lost. I'm gonna leave the 99 to go find the one that was lost until he finds it. Who knows how long that'll take? Second parable starts like this, Luke 15, eight. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And then the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son that many of us know very well. Towards the end of the story is the son is returning home, Luke 15, 20. Says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This is the heart of our Heavenly Father. That from the moment mankind disobeyed him and rebelled against him and chose themselves over him, he didn't lash out. He didn't distance himself, he didn't suddenly disappear. He, from that moment on, began to speak of what was to come, the prophecies, the rumors, the whispers that a savior, a Messiah, was coming to fix what we had broken. And not just put a Band-Aid on it, not just make it better for a few moments, but fix it for all eternity. And arguably, truly the most unbelievable part of this plan is that it did not require anything from us. Even though we are the ones who disobeyed, we are the ones who chose to separate, we are the ones who disobey God and sin on a daily basis, God's plan was one where he would sacrifice everything so that we would lose nothing. And this is something I hope I and we never take for granted because throughout history, our God is the only God who does this. Every other God throughout history is a God that demands. They may offer things like wealth or success or happiness, but that comes at a cost. That comes at a cost of sacrifice or obedience. And the problem with the system is that it always requires more sacrifice. It's never enough. In the ancient times, if somebody sacrificed to a god and it rained or they had a good crop or their wife gave birth to a son, what the thought was, oh good, our sacrifice must have worked, but next time I better sacrifice a little bit more so this god doesn't become angry that I just sacrificed the same or a little bit less and hopefully they'll bless me again. If, on the other hand, they sacrificed and it didn't rain, they had a bad crop, their wife was unable to bear child, they'd think, I must not be sacrificing enough, I've not appeased this God enough, in fact, maybe I've made them anger, so next time I need to sacrifice more and more in order to try to make them happy to get what they you know, said that they can give me because they're all powerful, I, just, I haven't given enough, I must keep giving, I must keep sacrificing. And if this system kept going, what the problem was is it kept increasing to the point of violence. This is why throughout history, we see evidence of people sacrificing to their gods became more and more intense. 
It went from crop sacrificing to animal sacrifice to ancient priests who would cut themselves to cults who would sacrifice children, who would sacrifice women, all to try to make their God happy. Because whatever they sacrificed one time was not enough and so they had to continue to give more. We see example of this in the story of Elijah. As he's showing God's power and God's presence and God's might in the face of the prophets of Baal, as the prophets of Baal are trying to get their God to respond, they're praying, they're crying, they're wailing, they start cutting themselves to try to show this is how much we want you to respond and nothing happened and God is just the opposite. This moment when God speaks to Abram in Genesis 12, listen to the the words of the Lord, not demanding sacrifice, not demanding appeasement. This is what God says to Abram. Says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. No demands, no fine print, no appeasing, no you better, no if you don't. God leads with this man he chose to be the father of his nation, a nation that would bring the Messiah for all mankind into the world and he starts by saying, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna lead you because I want to know you. And again, our God is the only God that does this. Because God called us to him. He made the first move. In 1 John 4, 19, it says we love each other because he loved us first. God always makes the first move. And so in light of all that, There's a few of you in the room, maybe watching or listening online, that I'd love to address and encourage this morning. First, are those of you who feel far from God and have maybe felt that way for a long time? Um, Could be that you've never felt him, uh, that you've gone through something deeply painful and suddenly God feels very, very far away. It could be an intentional decision that you have made to pull away or run away from him for a variety of reasons. But whatever the reason you felt far from God, And I want you to know this. He is relentlessly pursuing you and he won't stop. He is relentlessly pursuing you and he won't stop. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter how fast you think you can run from him, he's gonna still pursue you whether you like it or not. One of the promises of God is that he will never leave us, never forsake us, even and maybe especially when life gets most difficult. In Deuteronomy 31, repeated again in the book of Hebrews, God promises, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 23, we're told that even when we're in the, quote, valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that those who are mourning will be blessed because they will be comforted by him. It's clear God is not going anywhere because God has spent all of history pursuing his people, pursuing his children, pursuing you. It culminated with the death and resurrection of his son 
But even right now in 2022, March of 2022, God has not stopped pursuing you and he will not stop. And the moment we turn, he's there. No appeasing, no sacrifice, no enduring of his frustration or wrath and then we'll get to the relationship stuff. He's right there. Uh, Second uh, group of people that I wanted to address are maybe some of you who felt like you have done something that has caused God to pull away from you. Um, Could be a moment of sin, could be an addiction that you've just not been able to get over. And maybe you feel or maybe you assume that because of these decisions you've made, because of the things that you have chosen to do, that God has turned his face, that he's holding a grudge until you do enough good things to sort of offset the stuff that you've done or you like grovel enough or sacrifice enough or hurt enough that God's like, okay, now I'll, I'll take you back. And I just need you to hear me say, that is not the heart of God. That is a lie. God's word says that while we were still sinners, uh, Jesus died for us, meaning That when Jesus laid down his life for you, when he was hanging on the cross, enduring our sin, your sin, he was thinking of you at your worst and still loved you enough to give himself up. He wasn't thinking of you at your best when you were like just killing it as a person and as a human and he's like, okay, they're worth it, I'll die for them. No, no, he was enduring, he was becoming your sin. He was becoming our worst, the darkest, most evil we have ever been and said, I love them so much, I'm gonna take this so that they can be with me despite what they have done. No matter what you have done, God is still relentlessly pursuing you and he won't stop. The word repent literally is translated to turn. It's it's like a 180 degree turn. And so when Jesus calls us to repent, he's legitimately just saying, hey, just stop and turn. And why is he telling us to do that? Because he knows what we'll see when we do it, which is God the Father. Repentance, again, isn't about groveling or appeasing or sacrificing. It is about stopping and turning to face our Heavenly Father who is pursuing us and will never stop. Uh, And the third, final category, uh, I just wanted to mention are those of you who deeply love someone who is very far away from God. Um, You just need need to hear me say that God loves that person more than you could ever imagine that he has a plan and a purpose for their life, and just like you, God is relentlessly pursuing them and will not stop. They are his child. Jesus died for them as well, and I know it can be incredibly painful, sometimes maybe even more painful, that when it's somebody you care about, who you see living a life away from peace and joy and hope and purpose, and and you you know, the thought is like, what, what what can I do? How do I fix it, what can I do? And sometimes the spirit might call us to move in certain ways, but for the most part, I think the biggest thing we can do is surrender, knowing God is chasing after them just as fast as he's chasing after us and every other lost sheep, coin, or son, or daughter that's out there. Uh, I'm gonna get a lot more into that next week, so I encourage you to come back because we're gonna dig into a fantastic account next week about that. But for this morning, uh, I wanna close our time by responding to this pursuit of God. I'm gonna invite the band uh, to come out. We're gonna close in a song of worship, but we're also gonna experience communion together. Um, You'll find in the seat in front of you or those of you in the front row of the chair under you, you'll find the communion elements. You can grab that whenever you're ready. Uh, And Jesus 
as we'll talk about coming up, uh, Good Friday especially, uh, and then Easter and the kind of um, chapel services leading up to that, uh, that Jesus, when he sat with his disciples, it's so simple, the, the way he commanded us to experience communion. All he said was remember. Now, again, it wasn't like, hey, remember and feel bad. Um, hey, remember and just give something extra in the offering, then we'll be good. No, it's, all he said was remember. And it's amazing how in my own life, sometimes I just need that moment to stop and go, oh, Lord, you're right here. Because the reality is, if God is relentlessly pursuing us and will never stop, those moments when we feel that he's far, those moments that we might feel disconnected, I've often been convicted going, oh, I'm, I'm the one who looked away. I'm the one who pulled away. I'm the one who focused more on this than on him. I'm the one who chose this over him. And sometimes when I simply stop and remember, it's just that shift, it's just that little turn, and God's right there. And maybe over these next few moments, maybe uh, the first verse or whatever of the song, maybe this is your chance to stop and to turn and to repent and to stop running, to release some things that you've been holding on to, thinking this is in the way of, of God. God couldn't love me. God's not pursuing me. Look what I've done. Look what's been done to me. Look where I am. Look what's happening in my life. Maybe it's the time to surrender that, knowing that's a lie. <laughs> it's not true. God's demonstrated from the moment sin entered the picture, he immediately starts chasing, running, 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 and will not stop. For those of you that maybe have not experienced or felt the presence of God ever or in a long time, and it's killing you, maybe this is the moment. And maybe it's just a simple acknowledgement. It might not be like this emotional well up. It might not be something that you feel in there, in, in, like internally in your heart, but it might be something that you just need to acknowledge. As Quentin said a few moments ago, we choose to worship God sometimes. And I believe in similar fashion, we're gonna choose to acknowledge he is with us and he is here. So take the uh, uh, communion elements on your own time. This is a moment between you and the Lord. Um, you peel back the first layer, there's the bread, the second layer, there's the juice. So this is uh, just a time between you and God. But if you leave, not if you just woke up and haven't heard me say anything this whole time, again, I just need you to hear me say, God is relentlessly pursuing you and he will never stop. God is relentlessly pursuing you and he will never stop. He demonstrated it in scripture and he has demonstrated it throughout the rumors and the truths and the prophecies leading up to his ultimate plan that he will not stop, he will not rest he will not stop searching, not stop chasing until every person that his son sacrificed his life for, which is all of us, has turned to him. So take a few moments as we close in this worship song because God is here and he's not going anywhere.